Blog Talk Radio. Network. I'm your host, Tori Gates. The Fae Awakening series is an urban fantasy that combines the world of fairies with that of the mundanes. Fury opens the series as a detective must investigate a series of murders involving a flaming unicorn. This comes from the mind of author Will O'Shire, who joins us today. Will, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tori. Well, let's uh, first look back to where we first met. We were talking uh, before we went on the air that um, uh, I was uh, up at Sci-Fi Valley Con with you in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and uh, I guess we ran into each other uh, at the tables and that sort of thing, and I just remember being really, really impressed uh, with, with your setup, your work, and we got to talk, and I just knew that eventually I would get you on the program. Oh, thank you. No, yeah, that's uh, uh, definitely my memory as well, just walking the tables and uh, networking with other authors, something I like to do at the shows, uh, and something something I think all of the um, writers and uh, creatives who are at those shows should do, because you, you meet people like yourself where you just start doing interviews and um, just networking. Yeah, and the thing too is, I mean, we all, and it was, it was, that was one of the larger events that I'd ever been to, and it was, at least at this point, and I certainly had a lot of fun talking shop with people, and uh, I was, I, I always say this, even if you don't sell an awful lot of these things, it's an awfully good learning experience because you find out what works with people, and you also find out what doesn't. You kind of, you kind of get to watch other people, and then you see how your style fits with the, uh, the people who come to the events. Right. It's uh, it's good to get in front of people, too, just because I, my experience is that it's easier to uh, gain readership if somebody can meet you. Um, so when they're sitting at your table and talking to you, it's it's easier than doing some of the digital work uh, to, to get a reader who will read through all of your books. Um, and on top of that, just working with the creators, you find out what other shows are good. You find out, like you said, what they're doing right. Um, you meet other professionals, whether it's designers or editors or other people who can help you on your journey. And uh, I, I can say as far as Sci-Fi Valley went, um, when we looked back over our numbers last year uh, before COVID hit and everything, that was mm-hmm. still one of our best shows. It's a, it's a mid-sized show, uh, but for creatives, um, people there like to buy indie work they like to buy work from you know smaller smaller authors yeah and it was one of the really fun things was to get the kind of folks that came up and really had questions for you and were at the very least curious about what you were trying to do and that sort of thing and um it was certainly gratifying to you know, and and a relief to me <laughs> because I, I've done you, you do events sometimes and nobody shows up or you do events and people just kind of walk by and 
they're almost scared to approach you. And I'm like, it's okay. I don't bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I've, I've had a similar situation because uh, for those, for those who don't know me, I shave my head and um, mm-hmm. I, I've been told many times I'm, I can look intimidating. Uh, so you do get a lot of that where it's like, Hey, it's okay. I won't bite. Um, but once you get people to your table and we have, we have tech, some techniques that we use just, asking people questions when they come by or handing out a free bookmark and that sort of thing. Uh, but once you get them to your table and you start talking to them, that's where you get to learn, you know, oh, hey, what are they here for? Are they looking for books? Are they looking for artwork? Um, mm-hmm. And you can find out if they're interested in, uh, interested in you and qualifying them and uh, hopefully turning them into a reader. Um, that show was actually one, I, one of the craziest things throughout my entire convention experience is, converting people to fantasy who don't read fantasy. Um, and that show was where that started. I had a, uh, I had a gentleman come up. He looked at my books and start, I started talking to him and he only liked science fiction and um, like the, uh, the um, he described them as like 1920s Dick Tracy um, mm. kind of mystery stories. And, um, he bought one of my books, took a chance on it, came back the next day, bought, bought the other one. Um, I think he <laughs> might have had the short stories out too. But his, his response when he came, he was the first, first through the door. He's like, I, I never would have known I would have liked this had I not talked to you. Um, and that's the one thing that's nice about these shows is you can introduce people who have no idea what you're doing. Uh, so for mm-hmm. you, um, it's, uh, your, your book's Lloyd Buchanan, right? Um, yes, I think that's searching one, for Roy Buchanan. Yeah. yeah, that's the one we have we have here. Um, like somebody might see that, you know, and they might see it even digitally. They might see it on on an online store, but not really know what it is. But once you start talking to them, and you're like, "Oh, what do you like?" and they start talking mm-hmm. and saying, "Oh, I'm into detective stories." So, and that's what this guy, this gentleman, had done um, and mentioned. And when uh, I started talking about my books, he's like, "You know what?" that sounds interesting. I'm going to take a chance on it. I converted him to fantasy genre. I'm like, that's crazy. All because we got, we got to talk to people. Um, well, you know, and, and certain people do have that openness or just that little creaking of the door open, I guess, because um, it's one of the things for me that worked was from, from working with fellow authors on uh, our parent company, Sunbury press books, and also with other folks, is I'm more of a person that just tries to read. I try to read who's who's in the uh, vicinity, and you can tell when like somebody's coming by and you see the eye contact, or you see where their eyes go, and you're like, and I I mean I put the bookmarks out too. People love those, and I just and they kind of come over. You know they they might be very outgoing and come right up to you, or they might kind of not be too sure. And I'm same kind of thing for me is um, people aren't quite sure how to look when they when they meet me for the first time or they see me they're not quite sure what to what to do with me and I'm like hey it's okay and um, once you get that engagement that first engagement you you see what they're looking at and they start talking and it's the same thing and um, a guy in radio sales I used to work with several years ago when I was getting searching ready to be put out he just says to me okay Tori give me the elevator pitch give me 30 seconds now. And I was like, okay. So I threw the elevator pitch at him. He's like, good. 
that sounds cool. And you hope that works. And sometimes it works for certain people and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, uh, you're, you're exactly right, though, about watching eyes. Um, that's the one thing we've seen at shows where uh, we, we had been attending um, – like comic cons, pop culture cons for uh, five, six years before I started vending. Um, and I only, mm-hmm. I only started writing a few years ago, but uh, when we went, uh, and, and I do remember this about you, you actually watch the crowd and that's what we do. You watch people. And when you see that eye contact, you, you hold up a bookmark or you ask them a question and try to get them to the table. And that's what a, a lot of other um, vendors are missing, especially authors. Uh, you walk mm-hmm. by and they're looking at their phone or they're doing something else. And it almost feels like you can't approach them, um, like you're you yeah. know, too busy to do that. But uh, when you're watching that eye contact, when you're paying attention to the crowd, it's it's a lot easier to get people to your table, and um, especially people who are uh, um, have um, you know, what's the, what's the right term? Uh, social disorders, I guess, um, anxiety, uh, yep. different things that that kind of um, they struggle with. Uh, we had one girl. I felt really bad for her. We were at a Philadelphia show and she had such bad anxiety. She was in the aisle almost crying and we invited her over to the table to sit behind the table because we're like, Hey, we understand what's happening. Just, just sit here, just be calm. It's okay. Um, And we've seen that with, um, with people who the vendors who aren't paying attention to the, to the crowd, they're not, they're not understanding that a lot of these people are interested in your product. Uh, a lot of them are, they they want to talk to you, but they they don't want to make the first move just because of, um, you know, whether they're introverted or, or uh, some social um, struggles that they have. And if you're friendly, if you smile, you're friendly, you reach out, you say, hey, come over here, you know, most of the time they'll they'll approach you. Yeah, it's, it's, it, and that's the thing too, is a lot of us are like that. I'm... I think I'm pretty good at this point of being able to to engage with people. Sometimes it's it sometimes for me it's kind of like it's sort of an instinct of okay, does this person want to talk to me or do they not? And you don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to move in on them too much. So I try to play it as much by ear as well as by my eyes and by what's happening with that and and it seems to do okay. And one of the things that I I always tell people because when they come up and they're looking at the books, they're almost afraid to touch them. And I'm like, it's okay. This isn't a museum. Please pick it up. Turn the pages. Look. Yeah. It's cool. Yep. <laughs> and they usually laugh at yeah. that. So anyway, I, let us I've get had into. People... Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. sorry. No. I, I'll just I'll just mention this. I've had people actually come up and look at me and go, "Is is it okay if I read a page or two?" And absolutely, yeah. I absolutely because if you read a page or two and you like it. I know you're going to like the, the the story. If you read a page or two and you don't like it, I'm not offended. It's just not your thing, and you're not wasting your money on uh, a product you don't want. Um, right. So that's right. just one of, one of the other things I've experienced. Well, this is a good beginning for what we uh, we are talking about today. Now, um, let's uh, get into this uh, the Fay Awakening series. You have other things, but this was really. Uh, a great starting point. Fury is book one of The Awakening, and it begins, at least to me, like an old school detective drama of the kind that my mom would have loved. And, you know, we meet Hunter, we meet his business partner, George, and tell us a little about this world 
that you have created? Uh, well, it, it kind of happened on a fluke. Um, I I started writing, and I, um, I I did I started writing to get out of depression and kind of um, you know find something that that felt more fulfilling than what I was doing. And while I was doing that, coming up with ideas, I had this idea for a unicorn on fire, and I had another story element that came with it. And so I sat down to plot it. Um, and when I when I write, I I plot and I ruminate on a story for a pretty long time before I actually hit the computer. Uh, I try yep. to make sure that I know every you know point A to point B. I might not know the dialogue or the little things that happen, but I need to know point A to point B for each each mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is that initial idea turned into just the unicorn on fire, which turned into the Fey Awakening. And the character from that initial idea is mentioned. I'm, I'm not going to say who it is because it's actually a, a bigger spoiler, but it's mentioned in like book three. Um, mm-hmm. So I started writing and created Hunter because I needed a, a, a main character and um, just started going with uh, uh, some of the things that I believe in. I'm, I'm intuitive. I'm, I'm an empath. Um, and I, uh, I connect with a, a spiritual world. Uh, so I was like, you know, it'd be cool if I could write a story about uh, the Fey Awakening just being that, like the world awakening to a Fey element, that this hidden, there's this hidden world, people can't see it. Um, and Inferior talks a lot about some of the ways you can see these beings who are are essentially right beside you, but you might not see them that way where they might be um i think it, at, in one scene in fury they're sitting in the bar and these uh, two characters brad and andy they they can't see the people clearly it's almost like a fog um blocking yep. their vision and um so i created all these characters because i love uh, and kind of what you said about the detective elements i love the old school uh science fiction and fantasy that's kind of more pulpy, short, straight to the point. Um, And I wanted to write a story like that, but write multiple stories where I could take each character and do more with them. Um, That's cool. As the stories go on, you know, we have this this first book with Hunter chasing down uh, this fire unicorn um, that one one of my readers called it a murder corn. Um, So it's not my turn, (laughs) but I was like, it's a perfect description. It's a murder corn. Uh, so they're, they're chasing it down, trying to stop it. And there's a lot of um, uh, elements that just kind of come out in my writing where I've always been uh, environmentally conscious and I've always had mm-hmm. these different philosophical viewpoints but never been able to properly write a blog entry or something about my beliefs on X, Y, or Z, where when I do a creative world – it just kind of permeates what I'm doing. Um, so, there, so for those who have read Fury, you'll you'll um, look back and you'll see like there's a lot of environmental things with um, what is happening. I'm trying trying to say this without giving spoilers uh, with what is happening in that world. And those those elements and those philosophical viewpoints carry over through the books, um, mm-hmm. social elements, environmental, all that, and the whole idea around the world is to create a world that ends up opening up. Um, it is a, it is a stay awakening. 
Mm-hmm. Now, what is Hunter's role as a crime fighter? Because it seems like he has he has the intuitive nature, but it seems like he has something. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if he was charged with doing this job or where. How did he fall into it? So part of my writing style is that as I write, um, and you can tell this with, when you read it, is I don't, I leave things out and I leave them out on purpose so that they can be explained later on or lead into little um, side stories and that sort of thing. And with, with Hunter, the reason you don't, you don't understand in uh, theory necessarily is because his backstory is really going to be a part of book four. However, what I can say is that um, the things revealed are that he is this character who has done some some bad things in his past. Um, and in doing with these these um, you know he's he's been involved in crime, he's been involved in some other things, and he's inadvertently uh, caught the attention of the Fey, and not just the Fey, but the Fey Council. Uh, and in Fury, the Fey Council is discussed, but they're not revealed until book two um and that's a, a council of three three uh uh very powerful fey beings and because of the crimes that he's committed he's indebted to work for them as a human uh, because he's a human and it's a way for them to interact with the human world without involving mm-hmm. themselves in the human world because there are agreements and treaties and things where the fey um, are supposed to stay hidden. They're supposed to stay out of view because of things that have happened throughout the history of Fey and mankind. So they use Hunter as like a go-between that, hey, there's um, you know, a unicorn on fire. It's a Fey being. They don't want to get themselves involved and potentially cause some issues, so they send Hunter to go solve that issue or other issues dealing with um, humans and Fey beings. Uh, interacting with each other in a negative way. And that seems to, what is alluded to is a treaty between the Fae and the mundane. And that's the sort of, it's brought up fairly often. And you may have already answered the question, but if, does the council have a treaty with someone in the mundane or how have they handled that? So it's uh, with, people in in the uh, the human world um it's not revealed in any of my books yet exactly who it is um it's kind of one of those uh uh you're trying to figure it out as things go um i actually think book four i have it's either book four or five i have it plotted in this is so one of the things i didn't expect with this series is i thought it was going to be just one book i thought it was going to be the unicorn on fire and when mm-hmm. I plotted it, I realized it was much more. So I'm going to have uh, a, an ongoing story, kind of like um, you know a lot of series where you have a main main line, and the main line is going to follow Hunter. Um, first first one that comes to mind is Jim Butcher's uh, Dresden Files, how he has books just following the life of um, Harry Dresden, and uh, so as time goes on a lot of that stuff will be answered. And it's more of like, um, uh, the, the humans that are introduced are not the humans that are in agreement with the council. 
there are others at play, I think is the best way to say it. Um, right. Well, it's an interesting thing because it's like um, when I began writing the Sweet Dream series, which is the overarching name for searching for Roy Buchanan and what is going to come next year and afterwards, um, sort of Aki, the main character, her uh, her backstory is sort of something that she's going to chronicle as she goes along, and there's going to be more to deal with some of the characters in the series. The arcs are going to be, I hope, making a fair amount of sense. And then eventually, because she inherited her ability to time travel from her mother, we're going to have to really examine what happened to her mother and what really went on, because it's only been alluded to. But I guess the main thing I was going to say was when I started writing about this, I had to kind of lay down some rules of the road. And you did you have any kind of rules that you set in terms of, for example, what the Fae may do, what mundanes may do, or is that still going on? Uh, it's So I have rules that are set, and then I have uh, like rules of the universe. Is that what you're, you're alluding to, or rules of the characters? I think I guess it may be the universe. It may be how it all, what what may be done and what may be not done. <laughs> yeah. So there there are there are rules to the universe, um, and they uh, I when I when I started I didn't actually write down in in theory I didn't go okay these are the rules for my world building. Um, I just wrote fury because I wanted to write a book. Uh, that is essentially mm-hmm. how that came about. And as I wrote it, realizing hey. Uh, I have this other story involving Kawa. Kawa is a um, uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot character. Uh, and there's some things that happen with him and Fury that lead into book two. And it kind of just naturally happened that uh, it kept evolving. Um, so mm-hmm. as the rules came along, I kept going, okay, here's the new rule. Or not, not like overriding a rule, but here's another rule. And does this fit the story beforehand? Um, and I do that with a lot of my short stories and stuff that I have the previously built world. And then as I go and I write a short story, if something comes to mind with a character, I go, okay, does, does that actually fit what has already been written before? Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's nothing like where I sat down where um, I've seen some people where they sit down and build complete binders of world building information I don't have anything well, like that. I don't. I don't have the patience for that. Um, <laughs> I just. I just keep notes, and I have Scrivener, and then when I'm done with a book, I read through the book, and I put all the important notes in there, and just make sure everything keeps going forward and acknowledges what's happened in the past. Yeah, I think the one thing that I'm going to have to guard against is to try not to over-explain things. And but basically, I started out not really knowing what I was writing in 2007 with this story. And the only thing that I, the only rule I really gave Aki that she understood in trying to figure out and sort out her time travel issues, because she has no idea how to use it at the start. The only thing she really knew was that she couldn't change the past. And she also knew that she could not use her ability to time travel to solve her problems in the real world. She still had to deal with 
whatever issues came before her, she couldn't go back in time and make things better. She couldn't use it that way. But as time goes on, she's going to discover newer, there's going to be additional elements to her ability that she didn't know about. And it's going to take, uh, it's going to take one of her friends to sort of identify it for her. So I'm trying to be careful with that. But um, I guess the main thing that um, really gets me to is um, we are, you know, we're creating our own universe. We can do what we want pretty much. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's the fun part about it is uh, if you let it evolve, it, it surprises you. And you can you can make it work to where you stick to the rules, kind of like um, where you were talking about like a character role with Aki. Uh, so with Hunter, one of the one of the roles is that uh, his character is bound to the council because of his past, but he's trying to get away from them, and that's part of with what he's doing in Furious. He's he's um, trying to essentially like retire, uh, but he needs to do it in a way that gets him away from the council's, um, you know, from from under their thumb as well, and that's a recurring thing with him where he's as time goes on, he keeps finding himself. It's like this back and forth effect of how do I get out of this? Um, Mm -hmm. And he keeps digging himself deeper and trying to get farther away. And it's, you know, how do I get away from these fey beings? And the one thing being the one um, question that's going on throughout the whole thing is, well, who do you really want to be with is, um, as you get into later books, it's like, are the humans better? Are the say better? Are neither of them better than each other? Which what's going on, and which side do you want to take? Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the the things with his character that that sticks over time. Mm-hmm. Now you brought up Kawa, and I do want to ask about him. But um, some of the other beings that populate this world were a lot of fun, like George, Hunter's partner. He seems to be a little more stable, but it's he's interesting in his own way. Yeah, yeah, no, he is uh, he is definitely more of the wants to be left out of everything, but is running a business at the same time, <laughs> um, and is just trying to trying to get by, um, but he's also the type that will protect his friends at any cost. Uh, mm-hmm. His background, you learn you learn a lot more about his background in book two and uh, why he's doing certain things and what he used to be and that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, some of the other characters, uh, it just, it, it's one of those things where as, as I was writing it, it just surprised me. Like there's, um, there's a, a gang of goblins uh, that... <laughs> Uh, chase Hunter down on a mountain on motorcycles that are falling apart. Um, that actually led into a short story, uh, and it's uh, it's called Greed. It's about that gang of goblins robbing a bank. Um, that, I, that have, I have that. And that was one. really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that that one is um, it's a free short story on my website, and uh, it's it was fun to write because I mean it's these goblins who just are. Each one's a little wacky. There's a leader who's, you know, a little more stable than the rest, but then it's kind of some fantasy sci-fi mixed together. But then those short stories lead into the other books. Um, So as as I worked with all these interesting characters, 
they all come back. Uh, so when people have asked me, you know, hey, what about Kawa or what about George or, um, you know, uh, Henry or, or all these other people, do you have more of that? And it's like, oh, I absolutely do. The problem is I don't have time to write it all. <laughs> I even have um, one of one of my favorite characters to write was Bonnie, and she's a she's a brownie uh, in Irish culture. A brownie is a a, a creature who kind of lives in the home and helps take care of the home. But yep. at a moment's notice, if you don't if you don't appease them, they can turn into a, a boggart, and it's it's little like. Um, almost like a demony thing that just will destroy your home. Uh, she was a lot of fun to write. And then she's been a fan favorite to the point where I went, okay, who am I writing first? Because I, I have um, I have a backstory for Kawa and I have a backstory for Bonnie. And I ended up writing, it's called The Brownie. I ended up writing that this year. It's just not out yet. But that's uh, mm-hmm. the fun with all these characters is hearing how people, you know, whether it's the goblins or Kawa, Kawa's, I'd say Kawa and Bonnie tie for the favorite character. Um, is hearing people talk about like, oh, I want to know more about this and I want to know more about that. They they love those little um, personalities that are all throughout the book. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of time to finish creating everything. Well, Bonnie Bonnie was appealing in 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 a lot of ways, and it was just um, you know the without giving it all away, the first part of of um, Hunter's inter first interaction with her. It's like what in the world is that and what did he do because it was yeah. it was just fantastic and um no that's that's one of the most fun things is like when somebody asks you about the characters of your book and they're like you know are, are we going to you know are they going to come back are we going to hear from them again and that sort of thing and i have had people genuinely ask about aki they're like so what is she going to do or uh, what happens to her, you know, what happens to her brothers, you know, and, and what about these people that were sort of on the fringe? What do they represent? And it's like, that comes out as we go, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the one thing I like about um, the way I write is that uh, it's not, um, it's not overly descriptive. It leaves a lot to your imagination. And then, the backgrounds, I don't, I'm not informa- doing an information dump of like, oh, this is who this character's background is. It, no, that, that's revealed over time as part of the mystery of, of reading and the mystery of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because that also, build, that also builds up the, the character development as time goes on as to why are they making these decisions? Why are they doing mm-hmm. these different things? Exactly. And like we say, we, we, we mentioned Kawa. Um, this was probably the most um he was the most fun character he was so funny and he just sort of this this kind of goofy monster and yet at the same time this is not someone you want cr- to cross by the, by the sound of him <laughs> right right i uh when i when i wrote him he came from uh, as a as a child i used to go into the woods and um mm-hmm. just sit in the woods playing the dirt all that sort of thing and he came from from that where I was like I want I wanted a, a Bigfoot creature, and when it came to the personality, I, I started thinking, you know, what do I do with the personality? And I went, oh, he could be like a child, and so I mm-hmm. tried to design him like a child, but he's a child you don't want to mess with, yep. <laughs> because as the story goes in Fury, you'll see 
he's he he always I always thought back to um in Star Wars with Chewbacca where they're mm-hmm. they're playing um I forget what the game's called but they're playing that game on the Millennium Falcon and it looks like, it looks Han like a version of chess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Han Solo looks over and he's there um C3PO is playing and he's going to win. He's like, you know, the Wookiee says something like the Wookiee might tear your arm off if you win or something. You know, he might be kind, but in a moment's notice, he's going to rip you apart. Um, so it's kind of that type of thing where he's, uh, uh, again, protective of his friends, but he's a child and he wants to, he wants to help. And uh, a big thing with him is the environment because he lives in in the forest. So he has this childlike wonder for the environment, um, mm-hmm. but gets really, really protective when things go wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like he's sort of a guardian of of his own world, and he's a guardian of the where he lives. And it's like, and he's made a point of sort of like it's my I'm I live here. This is my job, kind of to defend this to some extent. Right. Yeah. Now, how far along are we in the series? How many do we have so far? And the other couple of the other titles, Revenge and Caged. Can you give us like an idea of how this series is coming along and and that sort of thing? Yeah. So there are. Um, I'm actually not even going to know the number off the top of my head. I'll, I'll just start <laughs> going through them. Uh, you have you have Fury. Uh, and Fury is about Hunter chasing down a unicorn on fire who's um, go, killing things and. Uh, they're trying to stop it. You have Revenge, which is book two. And in that, you learn more about Kawa's history. Uh, Hunter ends up having to um, go after him because he's suspected of uh, stealing children and taking them into the woods. Uh, in Caged, that's the third book. Uh, that one, all of the characters that you've met to date are in a prison, put into a prison, and they're trying to escape the prison. Um, so it's like a prison of fey beings. And then you have the short stories. I have uh, a compilation of short stories called Capture, which is kind of takes place between Revenge and Caged and is about some of those side characters like the goblins um, and some of the characters in Caged who there's an elf, uh, um, uh, a sugar-addicted porcupine, and some other ones that <laughs> it gives more backstory. And then after Cage, there's going to be book four, which I have plotted, but I haven't started writing. And that's that's the main part right now. Now in the next couple of weeks, I have Frozen coming out. That's a novella about uh, like several hundred years in the future and what's happening at the standalone and what mm-hmm. happened with the Fae Awakening and some of the some of the, the familiar lines. And then um, Magical Beings is another short story compilation about different characters that uh, have have appeared in the main line. Like um, you mentioned the scene with Bonnie, that first scene. And uh, without getting into too much detail, what I can say is that there she's in a room and there's some things, things going on, but in like Magical Beings, there's a dust sprite. In the dust sprite, is living his life while this stuff is going on. Um, so it's a short story about him. There are other characters um, uh, you know, that are throughout the series. Um, 
none of them are in Fury, I don't think, other than the Dust Sprite. So they're they're not characters you would be familiar with yet. Uh, and then there's the Fae Flash, and that's that's a unique one. Um, that follows that follows a character in the universe called Lachlan. Lachlan is, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I always do. It's, he's an Urswig, or Urisk, Urisk. Okay. It, it's a it's a Scottish it's a Scottish word. Um, it's a type of Scottish brownie that looks more like a satyr. Uh, uh-huh. So he's got like a a human chest, a human face, but he has uh, curved ram horns and goat-like legs and feet. And uh, mm-hmm. it's about his adventures in Niagara Falls and some of the things that are going on there. It's a, another kind of mystery detective thing. Uh, but that one, that's a compilation of two essentially novellas coming out. And that was created on Patreon. Um, I run a Patreon monthly service where uh, each week I write 500 to 800 words that are inspired by questions readers answered the week before. So the story Mm. continues. And then I never really know, like I have an idea where it's going, but every week they could throw a wrench into the mix and completely change (laughs) things. Um, So that's that's been fun. Um, And then uh, the brownie is – the Brownie is uh, Bonnie's backstory, and that one is in editing, and that's a standalone as well. Um, in a way, I guess you could consider it leading up to Fury, the first book, uh, but that's her backstory, kind of what she was doing before uh, she started working with Hunter. Um, and there have been there have been a, a lot of questions from readers about her because she has a very it's it's a mysterious background. And you get the 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 hint that it's a dangerous background. Um, mm. So readers have constantly been like, "When are you going to write her backstory?" It's it goes between her and um, Kawa the most. Um, they're like, okay. "When are you going to write Bonnie? When are you going to write Kawa?" Um, and and again, I mean, that's in two years. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight print comp, print books between the short stories and the the individuals that'll be out for the uh the Fay Awakening and it, it will continue. Um I I have not had a lack of inspiration uh when it comes to writing these books. I think the biggest thing is that as the main series continues, Fury is the smallest, Revenge is a little bigger, Caged is bigger, and book four is gonna be even bigger. Because um, there's Very cool. there's just more story to tell. All right, let us talk now about uh, what inspired you to get into this. Um, what were you reading as you were growing up? Those are those are the areas where always it's like the roots of it always seem to come from most authors. It, it did with me. So, what kind of what kind of reading did you uh, indulge in and uh, get introduced to? Uh, I. For the most part, as a kid, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, I read your, you know, as a younger kid, I read the the standard books that they they um, give you in class. But when I went to the library, I I devoured nonfiction, whether it was dinosaurs or animals or science. That's what I I read for the most part. 
Um, as time went on, uh, I read uh, I read the Narnia series. I read Lord of the Rings um, and started mm-hmm. getting into fantasy. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the authors who this is, I think in high school, I read The Sword of Shannara um, by Terry Brooks. And he's one of the authors who really struck a chord with me because I, when, I, when I started writing, I looked for um, – well, I'm, I'm somebody who researches a lot before I start doing anything. And um, I wanted to know, hey, what's writing like? So I looked into my favorite authors, Terry Brooks being one of them, and he had a book out explaining his process and it's very much like my process it made so much sense and i went okay if he can do this and that that was his process then i can do this even though my style is completely different than his that it's not um you know like some of the others like stephen king and then those i don't uh resonate with some of the other processes that those uh those authors use so a lot of very descriptive fantasy is what I did read. And as time went on, I got introduced to um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who did Tarzan and John Carpenter yep. Mars. And then I started re- going, you know, this is the style I really like. So I started going back through uh, those older authors. Um, uh, I Am Legend uh, is a book that always comes to mind. I think that Robert Matheson, or I can't remember his name, uh, but there are a lot of um, novella-sized, you know, long novella short novel stories that are really exciting and really good and don't take you six months to read like a thousand-page fantasy book mm-hmm. um, yep. and drew a lot of inspiration from that. Uh, so I started really reading those types of authors that were more of that pulp fiction fantasy, science fiction uh, genre. And then even to date, uh, for every fantasy book I read, I read probably five nonfiction books. Um, wow. I've always been, I've always been more um, apt to read nonfiction for some reason. Um, and even as I write, it's, uh, I know other writers who experience this. You might you might experience it as well. When you're writing a book, for some reason, I can't read fiction when I'm in the middle of writing a book. If I'm editing a book, I can. If I'm doing something else that is not the actual writing process, sitting at a computer typing the words, uh, right. I can read fiction. But when that when I'm working on that book, it, my brain turns off and it just won't let me do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's during the during fiction helps. Yeah, during the the writing process, it's like the first draft. I don't. I generally won't read anything. I will just scrap everything while I'm doing that first draft, and then then it's done. Then I can go back to what I've got piled up on my night table or whatever. But um, no, I get it. It's like, and also maybe it's like you don't want to get too distracted into something else because right. it might drive you drive you out or off that kind of thing um again i guess the thing was that you have only just recently i think you said started to write when when was the time that you were struck with the idea of okay i've got this i'm going to do this so two uh i i struggled with depression for years um and i want to say mm-hmm. 2012 
2012, 2013, I started going to a, a counselor to get through that. And one of the first things they asked was what I would change with my life. And I said, my job. And she was like, answer this without thinking, what would you do? And without thinking, I said, write. And I had no idea why. Um, I was never taught that you could write for a living. You know, writing was for the exceptional few like Stephen King and those other, those other authors. Um, About five years went by and she finally said, you need to start doing this because this is going to be important. This this seems to keep coming up. So we started an idea book in 2017 and I filled that really quickly. And then um, started kind of poking around with things and doing some research and reading and seeing what other people were doing, especially in the indie industry. Because uh, I like to do everything myself. So I was like, what are these other people doing and can they be successful? And then in 2018, I wrote my first uh, my first book. And Fury is actually the third book I wrote. The Frozen, which is coming out, is the second book I wrote, but I ended up rewriting it because it just wasn't good. <laughs> Um, right. And then, uh, so it was 2018 and Fury published in November, I think it was like November 30th of 2018. Uh, Revenge was in February of 2019. And then about every three to six months, uh, either a compilation or another book would come out. Um, and then of course, and that's part of self-publishing. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, COVID happened and kind of scrapped all my plans. Um, and so now I, think I have that, a I think that happened to everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you now about this, is that um, you are self-published, and this is a self-contained business. As you said, you like to do things yourself. Um, you have that freedom to produce a little more often like every few months and that kind of thing how did the model when did the model start to hit stride for you where it started to really feel you felt comfortable with putting things out at certain intervals that sort of thing um i went into it knowing that with one book i wasn't going to sell a whole lot um i knew that right off the bat and so i made sure that i had two books when i started going to conventions in 2019 and having run my own freelancing business for uh, 10 years, I knew the first year or two was going to be, it, it's a grind. You, you have to work it. It doesn't, a lot of people want it, you know, overnight success. And it's like, that's very rare. Overnight success right. is a very rare thing. Um, and so I grinded for, from, I think our first show was in March of 2019. And I did 25 shows between them and like December 10th. Um, wow. and by, by December 10th, we were hitting a profit. Um, I was selling enough books at shows. The shows were profitable. Uh, we knew going into 2020 that this was something within three to six months, I could probably start doing, you know, full time and, and switch over. Uh, but then 2020 happened and threw that wrench into the plans. Um, so now, I'm, I'm really looking forward to shows shows starting up because I do better um, with the in-person sales. And then right now I'm working on my digital stuff and trying to trying to get those bundles together. Um, once I get these books out, that'll be a really nice bundle um, to help sell because uh, people when you're when you're selling digitally, but they like that uh, 
getting everything at once, getting a deal, and not having to worry about whether or not, um, you know, if you only have one book, they they don't know if you're going to actually write more. Uh, so they like right. to see you having more. Very true, very true. Now, the, uh, the number that you just gave kind of like, that's astounding to me. But um, in terms of finding all these shows to go to, how do you seek them out? Where do you find all these uh, potential sites to go and go and hit? So, uh, yeah, the number is astounding. Um, most people I met only do three or four shows a year. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have, I'm in a unique position. I'm a freelance web developer. I set my own schedule. I don't have to take off work. Um, I have very good clients and I've, I've set the business to have a, uh, you know, a really good life to work balanced. So when I tell people that I'm like, just, just remember just because I did 25 shows in nine months doesn't mean you, you have to, or you should. I did that because mm-hmm. I knew I'm changing my career and I'm like, I want to learn as much as I can, as fast as I can. And um, so that's what I did. As far as finding them, a lot of them we knew about because we've attended uh, pop culture shows, comic cons for years. And then the best thing for people to do is to talk to other authors and writers and see what shows they do good at. Um, Some of the best shows we've found were recommendations from other people or shows we had never even heard of. Uh, That's cool. And unfortunately, if you if you go online, I mean, just in the northeast U.S., you, there's a thousand shows easy in every six months, easily. Um, it's hard to figure out where to go, you know, what city to go to. Um, you kind of have to take a risk, listen to the the advice of others, pick your shows, mm-hmm. and then track everything. And that's what, what I did is I, I tracked all my, every book I sold, every bookmark I gave out. And then when I went back, I went, okay, this show did really well for my expectations of only having two books. We'll come back next year. This, this show didn't do so well, but maybe it was a good networking event. So that was, I also factored in people I met in the networking that was going on. Um, because sometimes it's not about selling the books. Sometimes it's about meeting right. people who kind of like you who can do an interview or um, meeting an editor if you need an editor or something like that. Uh, so there's all kinds of value that goes into it, but uh, referrals have hands down been the best shows that we've done. We've done. And that's That'd one of those cool. things you just have to go and meet people. Well, in the time we have left, first, the big question now is, where can we find your books? Where's the best place to go? And, and your Patreon page as well. You talked about that. Uh, so I, I sell across the board. Um, the best place to go to find all the links are on my website, willoshire.com. Uh, and I also have a, uh, a special for the listeners of your, of your show, um, and that's willoshire.com slash brownposy, where they can get um, a 50% coupon on uh, the uh, the current digital bundle, which includes Fury, Revenge, Caged, and uh, three, three of the short stories in Capture. Um, and, and we Patreon have that link on the site. Oh, yeah. And the, the Patreon is just patreon.com slash willowshire. Um, so as long as, you, as, long as uh, listeners go to willowshire.com, right at the top, I have all the links, the book links, the uh, whether you're looking for Amazon, Patreon, 
all that sort of thing. All right. And I guess the main thing, the last thing I really I like to ask people is if there's one piece of advice to give someone who either like us is is writing or is seriously considering it or thinking about it, what what one piece of advice would you give? Uh just to write what you want to write. Um you know, if if you want to do this for a job, it, it's going to be better to write your story and write it the way you want to write it. And then when you're ready to uh, to publish, readers will come. Uh, that's the thing I learned with my book. I didn't write off a formula. I just wrote the story I wanted to write, and people have loved it. Uh, and I, I didn't think people would love it. I thought, I thought I wrote my story, and I'd be the only one to read it, and maybe people would like it. It was actually Katrina, my partner, who said, you need to publish this. This is really good. Um, mm-hmm. So it, just write what you want to write and, and get the writing done. Uh, a lot of people ask me at shows, you know, what do I need to do? And it's like, you need to write. That's, that's the first thing, hands down. Um, don't worry about publishing. Don't worry about editing or marketing or anything. Just write the story. Get that done. All right. Well, listen, Will, this has been a fast hour, and thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Tori. Thanks for having me. And since we are not too far away from each other in Pennsylvania, once this whole thing is over, we've got to meet up again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been too long. It's been too long since we've seen each other. All right. Thanks so much, Will. All the best. All the best to you. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show. Our guest has been Willow Shire, author of Fury in the Fae Awakening series and other works. I'm Tori Gates, your host. I'm the author of Searching for Roy Buchanan, which is part of the Sweet Dream series. You can find that at brownposypress.com as well as amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. Thank you for being with us. This is the Bookspeak Network. Network.